0: People have the failure to accept significant incompatibilities Mm -hmm. between themselves and their partner because they believe like, oh, well, but we love each other, so it's going to work out somehow.
1: If you're happy with the same old ways of dating... If you enjoy
0: sucking at communication... And
2: you have no desire to improve your romantic life... Then our podcast might not be for you.
0: But you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships... Broaden your sexual horizons... Develop a better understanding of yourself... Or learn
2: more about non-monogamy... Then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Amalene. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multiamory Podcast. Bye. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about the fact that love is not enough. We will also be addressing some of the dangers of magical thinking and addictive thinking and ways that we've been taught to believe that these things are good. That love is not all you need.
0: Okay, so can I just say, this episode's a doozy, right? (laughs) And I feel a little apprehensive about digging into this because I can just see the headlines now that like... Multiamory.com hates love. Multiamory.com <laughs> says you should never fall in love with anybody. Multiamory.com wants to poop all over love. Like, like I can just see it right now. Th-
1: that's clearly not what we're all about, though. Although apparently know, but- we hate that Beach Boys song. John Lennon said it was the best song ever written.
0: Which, be- which Beach Boys song? The, is like- all you
1: made. That's right? not a Beach no, Boys that's song. The- that's a song. That's a Beatles song. a Beatles
0: song. When you're talking about the Beach Boys song, the one that was the intro to Big Love. God
2: right? Only Knows.
0: God Only Knows. What That's I really what I was thinking. That one? That's yeah. the one that
2: John Lennon said was the best
1: song ever written. That's true. Are and you
0: sure that John Lennon said it was the best one ever written?
1: Yes. Pretty sure, yeah. Yes, he did. Okay. I mean, it is a good damn song. It's, but a, great, it's a great song. <laughs> apparently, Multiamory hates it and the other <laughs> the other one. <laughs>
0: Um, now, now I can see the headlines. Multi Emery hates the Beatles. Multi Emery hates the Beach Boys. Multi Emery hates now. everything you love. So, okay, so let me just get my feelings out of the way just to say I'm a little nervous about digging into this one. However, as I said, I feel like this is such an important truth for people in relationships to know. I feel like this is just a, such an important fundamental truth thing that we don't really get directly taught growing up about love not being enough to maintain a relationship because we're we're proactively taught the opposite right we're taught that like love is the end goal love is the be all and end all and if you have love then you're going to be fine and you don't need anything else. Which is, on a practical level, completely not true.
2: Well, and not only are we told that if you have love, then that's all that matters, but we're also told that if you don't have love, that you mm-hmm. don't matter. That you know mm. you're nobody till somebody loves you is
0: yep.
1: the title of a freaking song. So is it
0: really just that, like, multi-hate songs?
1: <laughs> we just hate songs. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> all songs. Well, no, I mean, love songs do kind of perpetuate that idea that love is all you need. Love is the only thing. Yeah. Love is a many splendid thing. Love lips you I think up. it's a many, <laughs> it's a many splendored
0: thing. I don't think it's a many splendid thing.
1: Oh, i thought that's.
0: Love is, love is a many splenda thing. It's a splenda. many artificial sweetener thing.
1: Yeah. Splenda.
2: Definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, so, so just okay, to, to clarify here, um, the multi-amory is actually pro-love. We're super into love, and we love being in love and all of those things. But the way that we as a society are taught about love, actually makes us less able to experience it, at least less able to experience the positive sides of it and all the positive aspects Mm -hmm. of love. That instead, like, like Dedeker's saying, that we get stuck in this position where thinking that the love itself is the goal, and we end up not enjoying love and ending up in potentially unhealthy situations, because we think it's worth sacrificing everything else in our life, for it.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to think about the fact that, of course, all of our movies, most of our media sets it up so that we think that, you know, seeing love and being in love as the end goal, rather than looking at it as just a state that you can be in during your life, a state that can happen to you during your life. And I think that when we put being in love as this end goal, then just like happens in movies and in TV, then it seems like it's worth it to sacrifice absolutely everything to get it because that's the ultimate attainable goal. And so that means that we put ourselves in a position where we let our boundaries be compromised. We put our happiness in the future and we can pour so many years of our life and so much of our energy into something that ultimately may not work out as from a compatibility standpoint, or just that may not work out with what it is that we're prioritizing for our life and so the thing is that what we often get caught up on is this idea that you know it's worth fighting for and striving for a relationship because a relationship is just something that's worth fighting for and striving for we haven't quite finished that sentence we haven't quite gotten the concrete answers other than just the supposition that love and relationships are worth sacrificing everything for
2: right that's just what you do
1: yeah and that's what the movies teach us Mm -hmm. Because it always ends with the the happily ever after or the like, the boy finally gets the girl and the end, we're done. And then clearly, they're like the happiest ever. Um, Something we wanted to touch on here is the idea of codependency. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure about you. C-word. Yeah. Well, you listeners out there, (laughs) but I definitely have been in a few codependent relationships in my life. um, And we just wanted to go over what it meant. It's essentially excessive emotional or physical reliance upon a partner. And a codependent union is one where both partners are overly dependent upon one another. So this can happen often uh, with low self-esteem Um, If you excessively want to please your partner or just uh, excessively do people-pleasing in your life, Um, if you maintain poor boundaries, if you let your boundaries or anything or just behave as a doormat towards your partner and towards other people, Um, if you're overly reactive, uh, again, just overly emotional, or uh, tend to see everything that other people say as absolute fact... Instead of like actually, you know, knowing your own boundaries and thinking logically about something, Um, also excessive caretaking or excessive control that can happen sometimes. And just overall dysfunctional communication, obsessiveness, um, and problems with intimacy all of those things can definitely be signs of a codependent relationship or that you are a codependent. And that
2: these, a lot of these, Obviously, sound very bad when you say them this way, but a lot of these things are portrayed in our media as positive aspects of love, or that you
1: need someone, or that they need you, right?
2: Or even that
0: you're you're nothing without this person.
2: Yeah, right. Or like the uh, the example that you know comes up a lot in the Twilight movies, for example, oh, God. Uh, is the fact that he's always I'm going to fuck her. you so
0: hard that I break your pelvis. Oh.
2: More? no <laughs> no the fact that he's always following her around that he'll mm. stay and like watch her while she's sleeping that he's always keeping tabs on her and that in the movie instead of being portrayed as being excessively controlling or excessively caretaking that instead this is portrayed as romantic yeah right i was just listening to uh ted talk last night And the woman in it was telling the story about how when she got her first boyfriend was when she was in high school, and one of the first things that this guy told her when they started dating was, no one else is allowed to give you rides anywhere except for Mm me. And then through their relationship, proceeded to beat her and hit her and things like that. And eventually, a couple years later, she broke up with him. And even after breaking up, he still maintained to her that no one will ever love you as much as me.
1: Mm. And
2: that, obviously, that, that kind of thing isn't portrayed in movies as positive, but we do see these other things, like this excessive controlling or excessive caretaking or dependency, being portrayed as romantic.
1: Yeah, I had a boyfriend in high school as well, who would always ask, like, oh, I saw your car at, you know, first in Orange Grove at this time, Where were you? Why were you there? And definitely like overly and excessively controlling. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, at the time, even though I thought it was a little weird and a little obsessive, I still had this idea in my head like, oh, well, he loves me. I'm going to marry him someday. All of this stuff. Even though in reality, it was incredibly dysfunctional.
0: So I, f- I feel like we're kind of approaching something that we touched on in the episode where we interviewed Carrie Jenkins about the nature of love because something that she lays out in her book is yeah. that the way that we define love somehow our cultural definition of love is also compatible with abuse is also mm. compatible with codependency is compatible with obsessiveness that. And it's compatible with someone treating you very badly, but insisting that they love you or someone treating you very badly and you insisting that you love them also. Mm. And maybe you actually do feel love for them. And so I think that because that's the context that we're in, where love can go hand in hand with all these very negative things, either we need to redefine what love actually is, or we need to recognize that love is not the thing that can cancel out all those other bad things, yeah
1: right things that
0: is, it, is where we're leading up to that
2: love is not mutually exclusive with a lot of unhealthy things, and that yeah yeah, the yeah, fact yeah, I that, think that you love the, someone doesn't yeah. mean there aren't all these bad things or that this is a relationship mm-hmm. you should be in mm-hmm. and, and I think also just real quick before we get into our fun little list here is that we I, I think part of this comes from. This other myth we're taught that love is scarce, that love mm-hmm. is something that you only get one chance at in a lifetime, for example. And so you think, oh, well, I, I can't leave this relationship because I am in love and this is, might be my only shot at it. So, mm-hmm. right. Or leading to depression if you don't have whatever you think the definition of romantic love is in your life, because, oh, well, clearly I'd be happier or I'd be more fulfilled if I had that thing. Um, And the reality of it is that love is, an emotion, And like Carrie Jenkins talks about in her book, it's both an emotion as well as a social description of types of relationships, um, as well as just a physical chemical thing going on in our brains. And that that is something that can happen in different ways with different people throughout your life. And it's not something worth sacrificing everything for, because it's not this rare, scarce thing that you only get one shot at.
0: Yeah. And and again, just to build off that, I know this is something that we were going to touch on later in the episode, but I kind of want to jump the gun a little bit and hit on it now. That idea that love is scarce. And the thing is, like, you can fall in love with a surprising number of people throughout the course of your life. Um, You are capable of falling in love with people who are perfect for you. You are capable of falling in love with people who are really imperfect for you or who are really bad for you. Not even necessarily that their behavior is bad, but just logistically, they live on the other side of the planet or they have a completely different lifestyle or a completely different set of values. You can still fall in love with that person. You can fall in love in a way that's healthy or that's unhealthy and you can fall in love at like whatever stage of your life you're in. You know, you have the ability to fall in love. And so love itself is not the thing that determines who's right for you or who's wrong for you, because you have the ability just from a chemical standpoint of having those chemicals release in your brain and make you go through all the crazy NRE stuff with whoever. Um,
2: Right. But ultimately it's your choice about what you do with those relationships and to decide whether or not they're healthy or whether you want to be in them or not, Uh, that Mm -hmm. that's all your choice and that it's not something that's magical and out of your hands.
0: Right, right. So really quickly, we have a super fun list of (laughs) some of the potential dangers of thinking this way of kind of if you find yourself relying on love alone to be the thing that's going to make your relationships have, you know, have their momentum forward or, you know, if that love alone is going to be the only thing that's going to help your relationships to grow or or whatever. Um, I think the main one that I see all the time is people have the failure to accept significant incompatibilities Mm. between themselves and their partner because they believe like, oh, well, but we love each other. So it's going to work out somehow. Um, and that's not to say, you know, from a relationship anarchist standpoint, uh, you know, maybe you fall in love with somebody and it's just really incompatible. Like your values are different or where you want to live is different or the kind of life that you want to live is different. Again, from a relationship anarchist standpoint, I'm inclined to say like, Well, you're going to figure out what relationship is right for you. It's probably not going to be like a super romantic, tightly knit, cohabitating, traditionally looking romantic relationship. It may end up being like a casual friendship or maybe a casual sexual relationship or things like that. But I think the problem is that people will see something like, this is also very common, well, my partner really wants monogamy, but I really want to not be monogamous, but we love each other so much that we're going to find a way to figure it out. Sometimes people do figure it out, but they figure it out not just on the basis of loving each other. Usually they figure it out on the basis of doing a lot of personal self-work and communication and things like that. Um, So I think that's just another one that if you find that you're in a relationship where there are significant incompatibilities logistically or emotionally or whatever, but you're finding yourself thinking, oh, but we love each other enough that we'll figure it out somehow, that may not end so great for you. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. Uh, And then a second one that is related to that is being willing to compromise on your boundaries or on your values in the interest of preserving this love. And so, uh, you know, again, this could be something like Dedeker mentioned with, you know, monogamy versus non-monogamy, but this could also be something like um, my values that I don't want to have kids or that I want to adopt, but that my partner want something different from that. And so I'm going to compromise on those because I'm in love, even if I really don't want to do those things. Uh, you know, this could also be something as simple as moving to a place and giving up on a dream of yours. Um, that there's a lot of different ways that this can look.
1: Yeah. And thirdly, we have, uh, placing one's happiness in the future, which is again, Touching back on the idea of happily ever after, that all of a sudden, you know, once you get married or once you find the one, you will all of a sudden just be happy. Um, and that's kind of instead of learning to experiencing experience it in the moment. Uh, and I and I see so many um, people over the years. A lot of my friends from college or from high school even doing that and saying, like, well, I can't wait till we get married or I can't wait till we have a kid or whatever. Like then we'll be happy. Then, exactly, because then I'll be happier. Then, you know, my life will be complete in some way that it currently isn't. And that is this kind of illogical fallacy, I think, that people get themselves into, uh, just that all of a sudden they will – suddenly their life will be complete if they have this attainable goal, mm-hmm. Um, but life doesn't stop, and unfortunately, people don't think that far ahead
0: yeah I, I feel that I feel like there's there's some truth to be found in this idea that I think that you should be able to find happiness in your relationships as they are right now, some form of happiness like maybe you're going through a rough patch or maybe you're you're figuring out your needs and maybe you're finding that there's some needs are not being met, but I feel that you should be able to find at least some happiness in your relationships as they are right now, as opposed to thinking like, oh, it's so rough, it's so hard, we're having such a hard time, but once we get through this rough patch, then things will be good. Mm -hmm. Or once we finally move away, then things will be good. Once we finally get to take a vacation, then things will be good. Like, it's understandable to be going through a rough patch, but if you can't find any actual happiness in your relationship, if it's always putting it off into the future, then that might be a sign that things are not going to work out so great
2: um yeah uh the next one on our list here is that when we think of love as being so important that we can associate quote failed relationships with us being failures as people that we tie our relationships to our self-worth uh, and this can be a really tragic thing i mean this this can go so far as to lead people to commit suicide, specifically men later in life after a divorce are much more likely to commit suicide. Uh, There's a a lot of factors that this could be part of, but I do think a significant portion of it is tied to this idea that our relationships equal our self-worth.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of wrapped up in this idea that like we didn't love hard enough, or our love wasn't good enough. Yeah, yeah. Which which is huge. It's a huge blow. Or
2: that um, I only got this one shot at it and I screwed it up. So therefore, up. Right. I'll never be
1: happy. Right. Well, divorce yeah. can really be a loss of identity in a lot of ways, yeah, especially if definitely. you like were with that person, you know, since you were kids or something, and then grew up and and became very different people after you got mm-hmm. married and then just it suddenly didn't really work anymore
0: right. um,
1: but unfortunately it is such a huge loss of identity that i'm sure it leads some people to catastrophic conclusions
2: especially the more codependent we get like emily was mentioning
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah i think something else that can happen is what i see often is people determining their life goals based on what they think would work with what their partner wants or what they think that their family would want for them rather than determining their own goals. And again, it's this idea of like, oh, I'm so in love with this person and as long as I'm with them and they love me and we love each other, then like whatever happens with my life is going to be okay. So it doesn't matter that I don't, you know, move to a new country that I've wanted to live in or it doesn't matter if I take that job promotion or... Whatever. It's like, as long as I'm with this person, as long as there's love, then it's going to be okay. Um, and I think, I don't know, I, I feel like I see this a lot with people, especially with people who marry young and who like kind of sacrifice their dreams or their own goals for a partner's goals, because it's so that like that whole idea of sacrificing something is so wrapped up in the romanticism of a, of a, of a love relationship that then if the relationship ends later on and you realized you devoted 10 years to this relationship and it's 10 years that you have not spent getting closer to what you wanted in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be huge. Like, it, of course it can be devastating because it's again, like Emily said, not only a loss of identity, but now it is like my entire future and goals were wrapped up in this person. And now that that person is no longer around, what the heck do I even actually yeah. want? How do who I even I? actually, who am I? How do I even go after what I want from here?
2: Yeah. This is also, uh, can be related to this idea of mental filtering, which is where we have some conclusion about love, such as that, that it's worth giving up my goals for, or that it's, uh, you know, worth giving up on these boundaries for, or placing my happiness in the future, that if we have that belief, we will mentally filter out things in the world that don't agree with that belief. And we see this all the time with all sorts of different beliefs out there that even people will get here's evidence and here's facts of why this belief isn't true, but they go, Oh, but whatever you say that, but in my life I see that it's true and I can think of examples Mm -hmm. to back that up, um, that this can happen with things like these happily ever after kinds of stories or someone who they think, again, you're just thinking from the outside, but that they think did end up happy when they gave up their career to have a kid because their partner wanted it, and they end up saying, oh, that that was actually more rewarding, that they might see those examples. And while those might even be true examples, they fail to see all of the counterexamples to that because they don't agree with that belief that they've already decided, wherever they got that from, whether it was from their religion or from their upbringing or from just TV and movies and books and all of that.
1: Yeah. And uh, finally, our last one is this belief that uh, the relationship will work out simply because they want it or we want it bad enough. And again, that kind of promotes this idea that uh, martyring or self-sacrifice or, you know, blaming or hurting oneself for the sake of a relationship in certain ways is... A noble thing to do i think jace you've talked about before like the nobility of sacrifice or the nobility of suffering Mm -hmm. um and that's kind of this sad bullshit that a lot of people get wrapped up in just simply because they think that if uh they work hard enough at it then the relationship will work out um and sometimes just it truly won't work out it's not meant to be And that's okay, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we see it as this failure, and we see it as we can't let that thing go. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't try hard enough. And if I just Mm -hmm. tried a little harder, then it it would still be around.
0: Yeah, I mean, the thing is that usually in relationships that are dysfunctional, it's not always the case that like one person wants it to work out and one person doesn't want it to work out. Usually, at least especially with the people that I I find that I work with in my coaching practice, like both parties want it to work out. You know, everyone wants to have a happy relationship. Very few people like want to actively hurt their partner or or anything like that. Um but wanting it on both sides is not enough. Yeah.
1: You know? Yeah.
0: to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. Yeah, I'll start us out, because I know that often when I talk about th- these things, it's easy to come away being like, well, fuck it. What am I supposed to, like, What what is love? What is good? What is Is there anything good about love? I don't know. Down with love. I'm tired of it. Um, what is
1: love? Baby, don't hurt just, me.
0: And baby, don't <laughs> hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I guess I want to start examining what are the things that you, the listener, can ask yourself about your relationships in order to determine, you know, what are the relationships where there's love, but like that's not the only thing keeping it afloat versus what are the relationships where I'm kind of just relying on the concept of love to be what's keeping this relationship af- afloat. Um And I think the first thing that we came up with that I think is really interesting is the idea of actually examining what sacrifices you're making um, in your life. And when you're in a relationship of any kind, whether it's a romantic relationship or a friendship or a family relationship, it's normal to make compromises, right? Right. You know, that just happens whenever you have two human beings together in, a, in the same space, is that they're going to have different desires, different needs, competing desires and needs. And in order for us to get along, we have to find some way to compromise that. And so, yes, it is normal to make compromises. However, when it comes to sacrificing things like your dignity, your autonomy, your physical body, um, sacrificing your ambitions or your life's purpose um, just in order for a relationship to work then there's something problematic going on there. And so I think this can all boil down to this single question of asking yourself, what sacrifices in this relationship feel rewarding to me? Mm. And the wording in that is very important because it's what feels rewarding versus what do you just think is rewarding? What is it that, you know, my partner's asking me to do this or asking me to not do X, Y, and Z, whatever it is that I want to do. And I'm going to go along with it and sacrifice it. And I just think, I think it's going to make my partner happy. I think it's going to be a good thing. I think it's going to be good for our relationship. But if it's not in reality, then what are you sacrificing it for? Mm-hmm. And I think this happens a lot. Like people will sacrifice, like, like for instance, um, that example that you gave jace of of like well you're not allowed to take rides with anybody Mm. um anybody other than me and maybe you're like okay whatever i can sacrifice that that's fine
1: um does that feel good though
0: (laughs) well but does it feel good is it making your partner happy is it something where it's like you preserving ride sharing privileges (laughs) um for only your partner is that making him feel super secure and happy and like now there's no other issues with that in your relationship usually in these instances it it doesn't and i see this a lot with clients where it's like okay well i'll agree to not have sleepovers with someone else i'll agree to wait on having sex with somebody else like i'll agree to x y and z number of agreements but it doesn't actually solve the problem. It's not actually rewarding. You're not actually getting rewarded with a partner who's happy and secure and loving. Usually it's just more of the same problem. So I Mm. think coming back to that question of like what sacrifices in this relationship are feeling actually rewarding to you, I think can really evaluate whether or not it's healthy compromise versus unhealthy sacrifice.
2: And I'd like to propose actually another way of looking at this too, because I feel like with that one, sometimes it's difficult to tease apart what, you know, what's actually rewarding in a way that's healthy for me and what I just think is rewarding because I've been so ingrained with these ideas about how love should go and what romance looks like that I have this (coughs) mental reward cycle that, oh, by suffering for this, that means I'm really uh, in love. Like. Like, Dedeker and I recently just rewatched Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, uh, <laughs> with Kevin Costner recently.
1: What a winner.
2: It was great. A- anyway, <laughs> and that Brian Adams song, uh, where mm. there's the line about, you know, I'd fight for you, I'd die for you, uh, that I remember being really influenced by that as a kid, and thinking that, okay, that type of being willing to give up everything of myself— for someone else, that's what love is and that's what I want. That's what I'm going to try to find. And that included trying to sort of mentally work myself into a state where I did feel like I was willing to do those things. And that that I probably at the time would have said felt rewarding to me. So I wanted sure. to propose another way of looking at this too, as I think both can be useful when used together. And that is to, when you think about compromises, in your life about giving up your desires for somebody else, meaning, you know, right now I, I really want to go get pizza, uh, but Dedeker has been having this craving for for sushi for a week. So, okay, I'm going to give up on my desire for pizza right now so we can go have sushi. That That's a very different thing from saying, uh, for example, I really have a desire to have a live in one house and have kids and build a family with, you know, just a two people f- parent family and my kids in the Midwest. And Dedeker says, I want to travel the sorry, world.
0: Sorry, bro. And Dedeker <laughs> says, what Dedeker says. <laughs> she
2: says, I want to travel the world and make a podcast about polyamory. And that to give up that desire of mine to say, well, but I love her. So I've got to give up all those things. That would not be a healthy thing, even if at the time I might feel like, oh, but I'm sacrificing so much for love. That feels good, because that's what I've been told mm. love is all about. That I think another way to look at it is in terms of your life goals and getting clear on on you know what those things are, and then asking yourself, is this sacrifice a short-term sacrifice, or is this sacrificing something that when I look back at this from my deathbed, say, (laughs) that I'm going to really regret never having been able to do X, Y, or Z, never getting Mm -hmm. to have these experiences, never getting to have this kind of life. And to actually, you know, take that moment to imagine yourself looking back from your deathbed and looking at these things and saying, was that worth it?
0: Oh, I think this leads us right to our
1: next point. Yes, it does. (laughs) And again, probably the point that most people are going to say, how dare they, those multi-amory creeps. (laughs) Those multi-amory song-hating, love-hating creeps. Exactly. How could they? But the thing is true that there are things in life that are more important than love. And you need to find out what... What love really matters, you know, what love actually means to you, and then what in your life is potentially more important than love. And the only way that you can really fully enjoy the love of your life um, is to choose to make something else more important in your life than love. So a technique that we've come up he- with here is to take some time to determine what actually matters to you in your life. For example, I've always wanted to do acting, in my life. And so regardless of whatever else comes my way, that's something that like I won't ever give up on. You know, I'll find a way to do plays or to do whatever or to still go out and audition, like regardless of what else comes up in my life. But again, if I if Jace had said like, no, let's go move to the Midwest. <laughs> and you know, we're we're done here <laughs> in LA. <laughs> Sorry, we should go and have ma- have babies in the Midwest or something you know, that that obviously wouldn't have flown because to me, my dream in that regard is more important than the love in my life, for example. So things to avoid here, don't do like one-off events such as getting married, because obviously that's not going to last forever. You get married once, maybe, maybe more than that, <laughs> but maybe in that relationship, you only get married once. And so then it's done or move in together because yes, you're still moved in with that person but that's not a sustainable continuing thing or like finding my soulmate which what does that even mean um but again that that may occur in your life to you but then it's not a thing that is sustainable over time that will i guess keep you happy forever Um, so focus on ongoing realities like i'm i'm gonna raise my kid through all the stages of their lives or I want to be able to have open and honest conversations with my partner or partners, um, and or, or having a regular sex life that continues to change and explore new things and be you know ever-changing and evolving. Um, and then ask yourself another question, again, like Dedeker said in the last one, which of these things are essential in my life? Which ones am I not willing to go without? And then be really, really honest with yourself here.
2: Yeah, that, that it's important to you know, when you make these life goals to focus on what you want your life to be like. Like Emily's Mm -hmm. example of that she wants to act, that she wants to be an actor. That's an ongoing thing. It's not just a like, oh well, check mark, I did that and now I don't have to do it anymore, (laughs) right? Like she's saying about of getting married or moving in together is a different thing from being in this type of relationship or having this type of ongoing relationship with somebody or sharing a space with someone is a very different thing from just the act of moving in together. And I think so Mm -hmm. often like with the relationship escalator, we're focused on accomplishing goals, like checking off. uh, We did the next thing. We
1: keep,
2: we keep moving on up and that's how we know our relationship is valid. That's how we know our love is real because we keep moving up these steps. We keep checking off these things rather than focusing on what is the actual state of our relationship that I want to be in. Mm -hmm. And I think this is also important to look at for some of these things we were talking about, like uh, if there's incompatibilities about getting married or about having kids or something like that, that if you're able to also have a conversation with your partner or partners about this is the state that my desired relationships look like, meaning the state of not having kids or the state of raising kids, rather than just kind of thinking, oh, well, the future will work out because we love each other. You could end up with very different goals, but not even be aware of it or Mm -hmm. just ignore that conversation and not have an honest talk about the fact that you want different things because you think, Mm -hmm. well, it's just going to work out because we love each other yeah: I also want to go back to Emily's first point here of um, finding what it is in your life that matters more than love, and that and that I just want to clarify that we don't mean to say that love isn't important or that love isn't a wonderful, magical thing, but the point here is that having other priorities in your life will actually make love better will actually yeah, and- I- enable you to experience it more so. Than you would if your only goal is the love itself.
1: Well, and what are you not going to sacrifice because love is there? Or because you need love to exist in your life. Yeah. Again, I mean, that it, that's yeah, that's an unfortunate part of some people's love. Or you know, even if they they have children or something, they may give up on a aspect of their life that they wouldn't have ever thought would be possible just simply for that love or for anything.
2: Yeah, And then also, if you are someone who identifies more as looking for love, that having other things in your life that matter more than love also make you infinitely more attractive mm-hmm. than someone That's who... more
1: interesting.
0: That
2: makes you more interesting. It makes you more attractive. It makes you more stable. It makes you... <laughs> you know, seem less desperate or less clingy, less needy. Um, and also can allow you to see more clearly when you are evaluating your potential partners of Mm -hmm. what kind of love is this? Maybe I love them, but what's the right choice to make for how this relationship should go, which segues us into our final of our three big, uh, tools here. And that is the friend test. So, I'm sure you guys have heard before that your, you know, your life partner should be like your best friend. And we think about it in this positive thing of, oh, well, you'd share everything with your best friend. So you should do that with your, your lover. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: What this is, is actually taking it and looking at the the negative side of it, if you will, which is to ask yourself, would I tolerate these negative behaviors from my partner, from my best friend? Mm
1: -hmm. So,
2: To, again, go back to the idea of being very controlling, uh, that, you know, maybe my vampire boyfriend comes in and checks on me every night and watches me while I sleep, and I can somehow justify that that's romantic. But if my best friend were doing that, would that be okay? I don't think that it would. And this can be a really good way I mean, way if you have a
0: vampire of, best friend, maybe.
2: See, I don't think it's just a vampire <laughs> thing. I think it's just a creepo <laughs> thing.
1: Just a I creepo I think it's thing? just a controlling thing. Yeah. Yeah, probably.
2: Yeah. Probably, probably. Um, there's actually a really quick side note. There's a fantastic uh, video on YouTube by the Pop Culture Detective Agency that's a mashup of scenes from Twilight with uh, scenes from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And it's using Sarah Michelle Geller's lines in Buffy the Vampire Slayer to respond to the quote-unquote romantic things that Edward says in <laughs> Twilight and show exactly how creepy they are uh, through her wow. responses. Um, and it's it's a really great, actually, social commentary on this. I'd highly recommend going and checking it out, um, especially if you're a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And who isn't, right? Right. Anyway... <laughs> So to go back to this is to ask yourself the question of would I accept these behaviors from my best friend? And so, you know, gave the example of watching you in your sleep. Obviously that's very extreme. But what are some more kind of subtle everyday examples of things that can lead to codependency that we accept from romantic partners socially that we wouldn't from a best friend? We gave the example of saying that you you know no one else can give you rides somewhere, but that seems maybe a little extreme to me, but what about something like you can't ever go to a party without me? You can't ever go to a social event without me, or I'm just going to be so hurt and make you feel terrible if you don't always invite me to everything that you do. I don't feel like I would accept that from a best friend, but a lot of us do accept that from romantic partners.
1: Or you can't go out to eat without me. With a person of the opposite sex, for example. Yeah. I mean, and, and I get it. Sometimes that's a boundary or a deal breaker for some people, but, but the, I don't know if yeah. you were, would you say would you tolerate that's okay that? your best or just
0: Whoever it is you're attracted to, it doesn't have to be someone of the opposite sex, but it's uh, like, right. You're not well, allowed sure. to go out to eat with somebody uh, just as an example, you're attracted to. Yeah. Yeah. The-
2: Yeah. Similarly, even something that comes up in poly relationships is the idea of saying, well, you can't go to this restaurant or to this place with anybody else but me. That's also kind of, some people will defend that as being an okay thing to request, but ask yourself, would I accept that from my best friend? And maybe you would. Maybe you would say, you know what, that's okay. That's something that my best friend and I, we have some things that we just don't ever do with anyone else. Maybe it's, you know, watching Game of Thrones as it comes out. Like, sure, right? We're we're not trying to say that you can never, ever limit anything or, or keep anything exclusive to one person. But to really check in with yourself and be honest, would I accept this from my best friend? Is this something I'm actually okay with? Or is this something that I feel like I have to be okay with because I'm in love?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So ultimately the takeaway that we would like to leave all of you with from this is not that love is a terrible thing. That's going to ruin your life uh, because hopefully it's not going to be that uh, especially since you have all these tools to make it great. Uh, the takeaway here is that love can be incredibly rewarding and it can feel like magic, even though it's not actually magic. It's not actually going to solve all your problems, but it can make your life a lot better as long as you're not relying on it to do all of the work of giving you a happy life. Mm -hmm. It's a very real thing, but it's not a magic silver bullet cure-all.
1: Wow, that was awesome. I really, really learned a lot from that episode. Um, It kind of brought back some sad memories of relationships past but I think we've all probably we all can probably relate to a couple things in here at least and hopefully get through them and move on to better and healthier relationships in the future. Amen. If Heck you yes. <laughs>
2: if you would like to have a question or a comment played on the show, you can call our phone number, which is area code six seven eight M U L T I zero five. Or our international listeners can leave us a voice message through Facebook Messenger to our Facebook page. You can also email us at info@multiamory.com at or send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. To support our show and join our private Facebook community, go to Patreon.com/slash-multiamory. Multi-Amory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. And our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP.
1: This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming,